The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson, and this week on the Destination Eat Drink podcast, we tried the ice cream of Buenos Aires, stinky feet cheese from the Czech Republic, and wine from Uruguay with Mark Walter of Walter's World. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hey, welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey with uh, my friend Sam Katuri. And Bart Hansen. We also have Pablo Blanco, Paul White, kind of lurking over Sam's shoulder there. Pablo Lurco. Pablo Lurco. And we've got uh, Craig Camp on the show today. And and Bart, you know, I didn't know really about Troon Vineyard until you kind of um, turned me on to it. And the more I looked into it, the more I was intrigued by the whole story of what's going on up there. Um, you know, Craig, that, that vineyard that you're at, I guess, was originally planted in 1972 and was conventionally farmed until uh, 2016. Yes. Um, and so, you know, using all the regular stuff out in the vineyard and, it, and for some reason, which I'd like to get into, you guys... Irregular stuff. Yeah, they... Uh, Irregular they, stuff. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, at some point they decided to go in the organic and biodynamic direction. Um, so it, welcome to the show and we'd love to hear your story. Uh, it's, it's it's great to be here. <laughs> I've been listening to your shows, and uh, I'm, I think this is going to be fun, <laughs> what I can tell from your other shows. <laughs> so, yeah, so, uh, you know, I've been Good doing reputation. this for, for a long time, uh, just over 35 years. I started in uh, Chicago as a importer and distributor. Uh, in those days, doing small estate wines from Europe was, like, innovative, you know. Now, now there's, obviously, the big guys even do it now. Uh, and sold that company after 20 years. I spent some time in Italy banging around wine cellars and then uh, came out to Oregon where I took over uh, Anime Vineyards for a while and then had a, was induced to go to Napa Valley. I was there for about nine years and that was a totally different experience. And, you know, I went down there, you know, admiring, you know, Kathy Corison and Randy Dunn and and uh, the Matthiasons, people like that. And I wanted to go down there and make, you know, more restrained style Cabernet, but I didn't, the operation we were in was just buying fruit and the, the actually buying fruit that you could do that with uh, was difficult at best. And the prices kept going up. Uh, it was, we were kind of concentrated on Hollow Mountain. I think I, you know, it was at contracts that were based a certain percentage over Napa Valley average, you know, got up to about, $14,000 a ton. And then the guy sold, sold the vineyard and uh, came back to me and he wanted $21,000 the next year. Holy shit. And I said, this is not fun. I think I want to go back to Oregon. <laughs> 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 so, uh, yeah, through, through a few connections, uh, uh, the, the family that owned Troon Vineyard at the time, they were the second owners. Uh, it was founded by Dick Troon in 72. And, you know, it's pretty typical of a farmer in that area. He was just looking for another crop uh, that would, you know, get him some more money per acre. And, and it wasn't out of some passion for wine, but uh, it was a early time, a lot of interesting, then, you know, just 
general, uh, they had a good time with it, let's put it that way. <laughs> and then he got older, sold the winery to another family. And this is, you know, during this whole period, as you mentioned, this was, it was industrial farming. It was really uh, nasty stuff. And, uh, you know, like one of the first applications I got here and I, I read the label and it was called Venom. And I said, this is probably not a good thing. <laughs> You know, and, and uh, you know, I looked at the site and it was just such a beautiful site. You know, this gorgeous southwestern roll and the decomposed granitic soils mixed with some river sediments. And, and, you know, we're just under, we're sitting just under 1400 feet on this little uh, bench called the uh, Kubli bench. And it just looked beautiful, but the vineyard was, you know, just a disaster. There was like a, a concrete, the soil was so, so compacted and it's just so, you know, and the, the plants had been, you know, they were just really in bad shape. The, the, the red, blot, red blotch had taken over most of the vineyard. And just, they were like a, a encyclopedia of every trunk disease that you could uh, come up with. You know, we, the people from Oregon State were coming down here and jumping for joy when they picked them up because they could study, study like everything. <laughs> but um, so we put together, a, 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 you know, went out and found new owners, the, the Brian and Denise White from Arlington, Texas, and they've invested in the property now. It's a multi-million dollar investment and uh, all directed at the vineyard. So it's, it's been a huge transition. And I felt at that time I was looking for a framework that would address the situations that I saw in the soil and the plants. And uh, of course, when we found out red blotch, the big solution was to replant everything, which we're doing <laughs> over the over a five-year period. But uh, I felt biodynamics was the the best framework for moving forward. I just seen too many people who were making wines that I enjoyed and and really and really liked the, the look of their fruit. So I felt that this was the best framework for us to move forward, and and it's it really has made a difference. Um, I always think it's interesting in biodynamics. There's, you know, there's kind of two schools of biodynamics. There's uh, what we call, I call practical biodynamics. And then there's this, uh, let's say, uh, other side of biodynamics, which is somewhat less, less practical. And, uh, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's hard. You see it in, in the wine industry. Most of the people are very practical about it. They're just looking for a type of a framework for regenerative agriculture. And then, and then trying to work forward from there. So that's that's kind of where we're at. I mean, there's this new um, certification coming out called uh, Regenerative Organic, and they're they're just starting this year, which I think looks really, really interesting. Uh, obviously, biodynamics, the the connection with Steiner, and you know some of the you know more unpleasant aspects of his, of his personality, I think, has, has kind of held biodynamics back in many ways so we're, we're we're it was a good framework for us you know you need you need a framework and a goal and and i think you know trying to go for certification became a team goal then and, and it was a way to not only change the vineyard but change the culture you know the culture of the way people thought and and develop uh, a respect for what we were doing so, so you're you're four years in, and what what's the cert? So you're probably just now getting into certification, right? Right. What's right. what certification are you have you gone for, or have you gone for like the the range? The or? as of 2019, we we were certified by Demeter in the winery, 
and and in in uh, transition in the vineyard. So 2020 will be our first full certification for both in the right. vineyard and uh, cellar. Wow. And we're doing the same thing. We're doing CCOF organic uh, uh, for. Um, so we, we it was the same process. So right. know, we're, we're well, baseline for Demeter, you have to have the organic certification. Yeah, you? that's why I figured it might, might as well get the organic because we have to do it anyway. So, uh, you know, they made it a little bit uh, more complex when the Stellar dropped off from the Demeter program. But uh, we've been working with CCOF now, and and this year, which is great, they're doing both both inspections at the same time, which. Oh, it's awesome. really nice, <laughs> really yeah. nice not to have to do it twice. But, but Craig, you know, we, who who was the catalyst um, for going in that direction for that site? Uh, I was. I felt that this was uh, uh, the 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 best option for moving forward, uh, both on a philosophical and and a practical uh, level. I think felt getting to the point of certifications was important for the reputation of the winery because of some past, you know, things in the past that have been not, not perhaps the most uh, uh, prestigious in certain areas. And, um, and, and again, I think you know, going for certification is, is a team building effort. And I think that that helped. Now, in the future, who knows, you know, I, I think, think this regenerative organic is a really interesting concept. There's some people that kind of left Demeter uh, uh, to, to, uh, you know, because of the Steiner situation and so, and, and thing and, and have joined with other organics to, to create this, this process. I know, uh, Jason Haas down at Tablas Creek has been real involved in, uh, regenerative trying organic. to get this off the ground. And, you know, I, you know, like Tablas, I've known Jason for a long time. Um, we can tell by your, by about, your uh, grape selection. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's, it's an interesting thing. Well, I have, I have the great fortune here of that. It's, it's really too warm for Pinot Noir, but the season is not long enough for Cabernet. So I was immediately forced away from those varieties, which is a good thing, I think. <laughs> and, and what is your history with biodynamic farming? Well, I think it's like, it's like most people, I, I, it, you know, the first time I, I, you taste a lot of wines and I, well, this is really good. And you look, oh, it's biodynamic. So what's that? You know, years ago, so you start, I start to read about it and you, you kind of get immediately into this, into the stranger aspects of it. And it kind of drives you away from it uh, initially. And then I kept, you know, meeting people that were farming that way that were normal. <laughs> you know, they're normal people. They're, they're just trying to, to uh, make better wine. And, and, you know, so, you know, like Brickhouse and Soder up here, people that have been doing it for a long time, you just look at their vineyard and say, okay, this is what I, I wanted to achieve. So it was that exposure to other people that really, really brought me into it, that, that taught me that there was a side of biodynamics that could be rational and, 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 and uh, go forward. So uh, this was the first opportunity, obviously in Napa, when I was buying fruit, it wasn't really an option. And uh, when I was up at Annamie in the Willamette Valley before, we, we had launched very seriously into the live sustainable program at that point. I think we probably would have continued, but uh, uh, I was convinced to go to Napa. But that's another story. <laughs> well, and you guys are really lucky that you, you have um, one of your neighbors is a dairy. Uh, yeah, we have uh, 4,000 head of organic cattle across the street from us. <laughs> 
So uh, uh, when it's time to uh, uh, make compost in the fall, I just pick up the phone and the trucks start arriving and, and we get the neighbor discount. So uh, right. <laughs> it's great. Well, I, but they've been organic. The dairy's been organic since 2004. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, they're literally in the same soils and same area we are, which is as close as you can get to doing it yourself. But we're, I mean, we're trying to introduce livestock in a limited way. We'll be doing some sheep and uh, uh, chickens, you know, things that are a little more manageable. The sheep mostly for, uh, uh, you know, to help with the uh, weed control and, and things like that in the winter. Well, yeah, you've got an assistant winemaker that's interested in animal husbandry, too. Big so. time. <laughs> Big yes. time, yes. Sarah, Sarah yeah. Thompson, yeah. Uh, yeah, who we would love to have on the show sometime. Yeah, I'm sure she'd love to be on. Yeah, yeah. She's really into it. She was, uh, you know, she, did, she was at Hayu up in the Columbia Gorge for a while and did the sheep there. So she's really deeply engaged in it. Of course, the, 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 the issue with sheep is uh, we, we would have the sheep already, but we have to wait for the uh, Pyrenees puppies to uh, uh, be trained because <laughs> otherwise without the dogs, they're just uh, lunch for the mountain lions. Yeah, sheep becomes, <laughs> it becomes a numbers problem where you start right, with, right, with right. 24 and you end the day with 22 and then the next day it's 22 and then 19. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, Craig, have you ever met uh, Nathan, the steward down at Tablas Creek? Uh, no, I've not. No, no. He's he's a cool cat, and he's got a couple big dogs that that um, they do, they just kind of hang out with the sheep and go around it. And, yeah, that's what that's what we're doing. Uh, uh, but so hopefully we'll have that next year. Um, but that's kind of the last aspect. Uh, it's been interesting working with Demeter. They're really uh, yeah, it's different than working with. CCOF, uh, which obviously, you know, they're, they're obviously working with gigantic organic operations and, uh, you know, people like us are pretty small potatoes, but Demeter is, is, is really actively engaged. I mean, they want you to get, get certified. So they're, they're, uh, it's more of a, uh, uh, it's like a partnership, you know, they're really, really, uh, really helpful. So when they come to inspect, you know, saying, well, this, work on this, work on that, you know, so they give you a framework to, to achieve it. And they realize like, like with the livestock, which is part of the certification that you can't necessarily do that in year one. If you have a legitimate reason, they, they allow for that. Right. Well, and how big are, how many acres do you have there? And where exactly is the Applegate Valley? So uh, we're in extreme southwestern Oregon. Uh, so we're about an hour from the California border and about 60 miles from the uh, Pacific Ocean. Wow. And uh, we're in the Siskiyou Mountains where, uh, where we are. So we're west of the Rogue Valley. Rogue Valley is more like uh, California in look. And then you cross over into the Applegate where, we, where it's a little cooler and you get more rain. It starts to look like Oregon. So you're all in the pine trees and the mountains. But we're in the Siskiyou Mountains and... Uh, where we are, there's no, it's not a, there's no volcanic soils in our part of, uh, in the Applegate, in this section of the Applegate where we are, it's all, uh, you know, the mountains were pushed up against the, the coastline by tectonic plate movements, so it's just, they were jammed up. So you have this mixture of uh, soils that are decomposed granite and riverbed soil, ocean sediments, this whole range of soils, but no, no, uh, um, you know, volcanic jury type soils and everything like they have in uh, Willamette Valley. Well, and if, um, if people want to, I encourage you to go on the website, trunevineyards.com and just go look at the pictures. It's, it's an incredibly beautiful site. Um, yes. And if you want to go on Instagram, I think it's at Trune Winery. At Trune um, Wines. At Trune Wines. And, and just go check out the, 
the property. You even had some people come out and dig holes on the property. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Yeah. We, the first year here, we had uh, Vineyard Soil Technologies from Napa come up and they, they dug uh, 75 five foot deep soil pits on the property. We had two PhDs in holes for a week and they uh, broke everything down, you know, and really gave us, uh, uh, we were looking to, to set a benchmark for where we start, we were starting from and then to uh, uh, watch what, what we were doing, how it changed the soils, you know, for example, you know, we're working, so we worked with them on, on, on a pretty typical vineyard development program, you know, the kind of analysis they do. But then we're also working with a company called Biome Makers in um, uh, San Francisco. They originally were from Spain and they do uh, uh, genetic sequencing on, on every aspect of what we're doing. So we've got specific parts of the vineyard we're taking samples from every year. And then you're doing swabs off the grapes mid-season and two samples uh, during fermentation. And they're doing genetic sequencing and all the bacteria, fungi, yeast, everything. And, yeah. and so we're trying to watch how that develops as, we've, uh, uh, as we progress. It's, it's really interesting because a couple, a couple of things that stood out is, is when first year I was here, we had it, almost no Saccharomyces. <laughs> It was they were. I mean, they were finishing, but they were finishing with with other yeasts. And uh, now we we have a strong population of Saccharomyces just in, in this period. So we're getting much healthier ferments, uh, yams, uh, as you could imagine, with the the vine issues I was uh, discussing before. We're we're you know in the seventy range, and you know so really really difficult. And now just on, on our existing vines, they're up over two hundred. So I mean that's that's not scientific proof, but it's 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 something. <laughs> so we're we're working what with biomakers. What, what are yans? I don't know what yans are. Oh, I thought you knew, Sam. I was going to say. I, I had no idea. Bart <laughs> acted like he knew. I I you know the beauty of Zoom. I'm just pretend my mic's muted. I'm not responding. <laughs> I don't know what that means. What what is what is a? I know what Saccharomyces are. I got that. Uh, yeast assimilable nitrogen. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So it's yeast food. Uh, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and, you so know, Sam, if you if you are trying to do as little as possible in the winery, if you have high yams, meaning you have a lot of available nitrogen for the fermentation, then you don't have to use you know yeast food. You can let the the wines will ferment cleanly and safely on their own. Right, um, and and that's mm -hmm. just even though what you're adding is a lot of times just um, dead yeast cells and whatnot, and and um, <clears throat> fermade, uh, right. yeah, but but even fermade K, I believe has uh, has what is it, Craig? That we don't like to put in our wine that makes it bitter. Um, um, okay, yeah. no. See, I don't yeah. use it, so I forgot. I don't use it. We don't use it either. Uh, what is that uh, called? Yeah. <laughs> nasty stuff it's per, it's prohibited by everybody so yeah it's basically it's like um, um, ammonia dap dap dap, dap. diammonium yeah. phosphate yeah. thank mm -hmm. you diammonium phosphate and <laughs> and it definitely helps the fermentation but added too much it it can um make the wine a little hard mm -hmm. and i know at places that i've worked there was a winemaker that every time a wine started to get a little stinky a little reduced he just hit it with some dap yeah, yeah. That was typical like, oh, man. yeah that's real typical yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, obviously, you know, biodynamics, so it's all native yeast ferments. So it's obviously the, the healthy fruit chemistry is exceptionally important to us. 
Yeah. And uh, so that that increase has, has, has been, uh, you know, it's it, it's really changed the quality of the wine. We're getting we're getting much cleaner ferments, you know, getting more fruit uh, characteristics in the wine. But uh, I mean, Sam, I, in, the, in the two um, vintages that I've gotten fruit from Rossi, um, the yams were high enough that I didn't have to add any yeast food at all. It, it did mm -hmm. it all on its own. The ferments were all clean. And I think that goes just to really good farming and healthy soils more than anything else. Do, do, yep. do you agree with that, Craig? Yeah, I mean, I, I, with, uh, biodynamics, I think that's to us, that's what the whole point of it is, is a, a huge proportion of what really biodynamics is just a, a, a aggressive composting system. You know, you're doing active probiotic applications to your soils. Uh, of course, we have the, the regular compost that we're developing, but you know, the difference between organic compost and biodynamic compost is that we don't let it get as hot. I think uh, organic has to be over 150, we're more in the 120 range. Mm -hmm. And the idea of keeping more of the microbiology uh, alive in the compost, because right. looking at compost as, an, as a soil inoculant as compared to a uh, fertilizer. I think is, is what we're doing. Even, even, you know, the famous cow horns, the 500, I mean, you're, you're putting manure into, uh, and burying it in an anaerobic environment and letting it ferment and then just taking that and mixing it very aggressively with air and spraying it on the vineyard. It's just another type of compost tea. And then, you know, we, we do, a, every time we, uh, um, irrigate, uh, which, you know, we, we have to do a little bit here cause it's so dry, but, um, we also include compost tea in the uh, in in the in the irrigation, so we're cutting down on tractor passes. So, right. I think it's worthwhile. Frank, what, can what, you talk. I'm sorry. Uh, can can okay, you talk a little bit about what you guys are growing there? Yeah. I mean, the first time I'd heard of Applegate Valley, it was because some folks that started Cowhorn Winery, which mm -hmm. I think is still around. Yeah, they, yeah. They had come to Benziger, and they I think they were working with Alan York at the time or started working with Alan. And and I was just like, you know, first of all, it was amazing that Pino and Shard up in Northern Oregon, but then to hear what was going on in Applegate Valley was very intriguing. Yeah, Cowhorn is still here. They're really close friends, Barbara and Bill Steele. They've been uh, incredibly supportive of our project and conversion to, to biodynamics. Uh, this is an area that's really, I, you know, it, it, you're looking at Southern French varieties here. That's what, what grows the best. It's, it's a warmer climate. You know, we're, we're uh, in the summer, you know, we're, we're, it's hot here. It's not like Willamette Valley, you know, so it's, it's, it, that's why, you know, it, I've never, you know, Pinot Noir here tastes like it does in California. And I think, well, you want, tastes like that brought in California where you don't have to worry about the frost every spring. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> don't, you know, I don't, never understood that, but you know, a lot of the Pinot Noirs grown down here is sold uh, to the big guys up North, you know, that uh, are doing Oregon Appalachian Pinot Noirs at low price. So that's kind of their copper cane. Yeah. I've heard of them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I heard of those guys. Um, it's like a, that's a four-letter word. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't against. You know, I know a lot of people were against them, but you know, a lot of my neighbors are farmers that you know they planted Pinot Noir to uh, as a business decision because there was a market for it, and I, I wasn't real happy to see that market taken away from them so quickly. So, but I also understand Willamette Valley's position where they want to protect their name. Right. Uh, the. the you know, I've been having gone through that part of Oregon. It definitely looks 
looks like California and then you get further north and, and the biome changes and you're into mm-hmm. the coniferous forest a little bit yep. more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what was the, the, the agriculture of Applegate Valley before grape, you know, these farmers, you know, the people who started Troon, um, what were they farming in addition to, was it, was it similar to other organ ag and, and nut trees and, yeah, yeah, nut trees, but a lot of fruit trees, you know, the Harry and David pears, of course, are, are here, you know, so, right, okay. you know, the, the, those were, and then, you know, typical, a lot, a lot of uh, uh, cattle uh, and things like that. So it's a very, uh, it's a great place to grow things. I mean, it right. really is. It's a good, it's a good climate. Uh, like you were mentioning, uh, Alan York before, um, our biodynamic consultant, Andrew Beatty, worked for, worked for him. So uh, they all come from that kind of same school. But again, I call it practical biodynamics. Um, well, and Alan, you know, the late great Alan, Alan York is the guy who really brought biodynamics to viticulture mm-hmm. with Benziger and, and the beginnings. My dad was yep. part of that. Um, and, and it was a bit of work hand in hand because I think that um, the wine industry has brought this practical side of biodynamics forward uh, in a way that, you know, other types of agriculture couldn't get to. Uh, right. you know, we, we've sort of mainstreamed it a little bit. Um, and, and I think that's good. You know, I think people are having these conversations about, you know, regenerative agriculture, turning, letting your land look better when you're done with it than when you started with it. Right. And, you know, in, in decomposed granitic soils, it almost stands out more than you know when you're in some lush loamy you know black soil kind of place right right well it seems like you sort of invigorated the staff there too um from yeah today. well I, I have to admit that it's all new staff <laughs> since since i arrived but uh well, i think you know just having a mission get, it, it, it helps you attract better people you know if you've got right. an actual reason for existence and something you're trying to pursue that uh uh, uh, means something, you're going to attract better people. We, I mean, we just hired, you know, a person from uh, California moved up here. Uh, there's going to be working, you know, harvest with us on our crew. Uh, Sarah, you know, she's from California, although she's bounced around a bit. So, um, you know, there's more professional winemaking coming in. The, the steels at Cowhorn were certainly the pioneers of this area for, for, you know, making wines that would sell, be able to sell in a national market. Uh, and uh, um, so there's just more of that happening now. Well, you can the... buy land too. I mean, it's not you know you can you can invest in land here and and uh, <laughs> actually still write a business plan that right. would make it's not going to make you rich, but right. it's going to, to you know it's, it's sustainable not only in the agriculture but in the uh, lifestyle. Right. Well, and the, the the owners of the winery you said that they're from Texas. Yeah, uh, as a, a doctor, um, is uh, uh, entrepreneurial medical person. They've done a lot of development. Loves wine. They, you know, just really into it. Their daughter had uh, moved up here, met somebody in college, and and then they came to visit and fell in love with the area. And uh, you know, I think it's like a lot of people. They looked in California and said, "Well, that's a little expensive." <laughs> and, and then and then uh, came here and. We talked, and they decided that uh, you know 
Troon had the potential to accomplish what they wanted to. So they went into it too with, I mean, they're, they're, that's really important. You got to have ownership that wants to make world-class wines too, not just. Well, and that's willing to spend the money to, to get where you wanted to go right. to. Yeah. Right. And especially, you know, when you're obviously a vineyard replant is a, is a, is a, is a big investment. And uh, we we're, been, we're fortunate because Cowhorn being very close friends, they have, they're selling us some fruit every year for the next three years until some of our new vines come into production. So I'm able to buy biodynamic fruit, which is not too easy to do. Yeah. And, and, and not only biodynamic, but from my own ABA. Um, right. And uh, so uh, that, that's the kind of partnership that you, you get in this area. And uh, so, yeah, and I don't think we, so we didn't talk about exactly what, what you have grown there. I know that you have, um, I know okay. when you were, when you were digging the holes on the property, you were talking about putting in some Grenache. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a hundred acre property. Uh, there'll be just about 50 acres planted of vines when we're done. Uh, we're about 40 right now. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, Syrah, Grenache, Morved, uh, uh, eat up the lion's share of, of the reds. And we got, you know, some Cinso and Cunois, uh, even, even a little Negrette we're putting in next year, much to keep the winemaker happy. Uh, Nate Wall is <laughs> really, really dreaming of Negrette. So we're putting in some Negrette. And um, for whites, you know, Marsan, Roussan, Viognier, but then we're also kind of putting in that whole range of uh, uh, Chateauneuf whites that, you, you know, and, and then and the, to, to make a, because we're going to be focusing on blends will be kind of the main productions. So you're going to get some Berbalanc and some Claret and... Yep. Well, yeah. Picolite, yeah. Nice. Uh, uh, Picpool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, doing the whole South thing, yes. But right. I mean, I th I think blending is is uh, as well proven in Southern France, and it is is the way to go for this region and what we do. So um, it's pretty typical. I mean, when we make a, it's an interesting growing season because uh, uh, you know, so we're just under fourteen hundred feet, uh, and at the at the summer solstice, I get just over, uh, uh, you know we get more more sunshine than you do <laughs> during the course of, of, of the day so even though our season is more compacted those longer days allow us to catch up but then at harvest it, it uh reverses so you know we're, we're picking in the late october for the reds so the days are really really short it's cool so sugar accumulation really comes grinds to a halt at that point so you can let the fruit hang uh, and develop flavor without the sugars continuing to, to increase. So we get really moderate alcohols and, and really good acidity. Because again, being this close to the ocean, we get that big diurnal swing. Uh, 40, yeah, 50. I was going to ask what the the marine influence is like in that part of the world. I mean, are you getting, you know, this morning we woke up, you were probably in the fog, Bart. Uh, the fog burned off in Sonoma Valley at about 10 o'clock. Um, which is, you know, kind of the typical summer pattern. It's actually, you know, in drought years, we haven't had as much fog. So it's nice to see the fog bank. Um, is that, is that kind of what you're getting up there? Is there a fog bank rolling off the Pacific up there? No, we get, we get zero fog here. Part of us, the altitude. Okay. Uh, um, if you were on the coast, you would get it, but not, not where we are. And um, it, so we don't, we get no fog at all in the summer. None, no rain either. But right. <laughs> so what know, is so. the, um, what is the altitude of the mountain range between you and the ocean? 
Well, uh, grayback is about 6,000 feet. So oh, wow. there's a lot of four or five, 6,000 foot peaks. Yeah. So it's significant. But the uh, Applegate and the Rogue River cut a path through, through the mountains. Okay. So every day at about, say, 3.30, 4 o'clock on a hot day, the wind just picks up. So we get a lot of wind. And it can be 100. And then by 9 o'clock, it's 50. That's a pretty typical... Wow. Typical spread for us. Uh, I've never had the air conditioning on at night here at all. So, yeah. And, um, you know, about a month ago, one of our friends was on the podcast. His name's Casey Graybell. He, um, they call him the Grenachista. Um, and he was talking about, uh, he calls himself, we call him that too. And, uh, he was talking about experimenting with Piquette. And it was the first time that we had ever we had ever heard of it. And then I saw that you guys were doing one. Yeah, we actually yes, we <laughs> we made a paquette last year. Uh, I, last winter I was uh, uh, reading an article and it said paquette. What's that? You know, <laughs> same thing. So I read it. It's Wild Ark in uh, Hudson Valley, New York, uh, was making it. And, I, and so I, I read the article and I sent it to our winemaker Nate Wall and I said. Uh, this looks like fun. And he said, yeah, that looks like fun. So we did it. So I, I say it's not, it's not a pure paquette because there was more juice in there than we anticipated because we basically just took the, 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 the pumice from the uh, whole, whole cluster pressings for the whites and the rosés and uh, um, uh, added a little bit of water to it, but we didn't need to because there was still a lot of juice and sugar left in the skins. So we ended up actually surprisingly with 10, 10.5% alcohol on it. And wow. uh, so it's somewhere in between a pet nat and a paquette. So, um, right. <laughs> but that's sort of the thing, but you know, paquette can be whatever you want pretty much, I guess. So, <laughs> yeah. well, but it kind of fits in with the whole philosophy though, of, of using something again, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, yeah. yeah, that's what we, that's what we thought, you know, why not? It's uh, and it, it was really fun to do. Uh, I guess I should say fun in quotes because of course you have to bottle it right in the middle of harvest, <laughs> which is right. not so fun. <laughs> but and uh, and you were doing it by hand, I think too. I think uh, oh, Nate yeah. was actually putting the crown caps on himself. So uh, oh yeah, yes, by hand. So during we did harvest, two hundred cases, and I think we'll do about three hundred this year. So, but that that's probably maximum velocity <laughs> of what we can actually do. <laughs> but we also made a pet nat too, because uh, we made it out of a tanat, 100% tanat. And uh, I had, there's four rows that are, have pretty serious uh, red blotch issues. So they weren't ripening up and the, it has high acid anyway. So we said this would be ideal for sparkling. And uh, we really liked the results. It was a lot of fun, but it's, a, it's got great chemistry. It's a, it's a 295 pH and nine grams of TA. So zesty <laughs> it's, it's refreshing <laughs> and what's got brian's name written all over oh it i would love that it's making me drool just hearing yeah, about it yeah. <laughs> it's like brute natur champagne you know it's got that kind of edge to it yeah yeah no i like that and so so what is so what's that area like as far as visitors during the summer do you get a lot of people coming through going wine tasting or do you sell the majority of your wine to wine club members? Is it all um, online sales? Like what's the breakdown? We're pretty divided. I mean, the tourism here more, more is higher than you would think uh, for a couple of reasons uh, this year, who knows, you know, but um, um, 
we get a lot of tourism from the Bay Area. Uh, there's, of course, we're, we're an hour from Crater Lake, which is one of the biggest draws for tourists anywhere on the West Coast. And then there's the Shakespeare Festival in Ashland. There's a big music festival, the Brit Festival in Jacksonville. And so it's, it's, there's a lot going on here in the summer, generally. And uh, so, and I think a lot of people come here. I mean, this is really rural. I mean, it's, you are uh, out in the, in the, in the country here. We're not near any kind of major uh, um, urban center. I mean, we're, uh, San Francisco is an hour further drive than Portland where we are. So it's, you know, we're, wow. <laughs> you know, so I think people that are really looking, you know, and then also, you know, for fishing and, and, whitewater rafting and a lot of outdoorsy type stuff. So those kind of tourists are coming here, you know, it's mostly B and B's uh, and Airbnb type. Uh, there's not a lot of hotels. And there's not a lot of fancy restaurants and things like that. So it's, so it's a really a country, country experience. And I think people that are looking for that kind of thing come here, but we get a lot of people from, from uh, the Bay area for sure. So, Craig, it's been a pretty good adjustment um, leaving Napa Valley into uh, where you're at now? Well, there were a few advantages in Napa that we don't have here. <laughs> the, the, I'm saving a lot of money on restaurants, that's for sure. <laughs> and and uh, I, I miss San Francisco uh, uh, and, the, you know, the, the arts and, and things there. But uh, the quality of life here is is pretty uh, exceptional, especially you know these days uh, with all the terrible things happening in the country. Uh, it's not such a bad thing to be in a rather remote area. Uh, you know, we haven't had some of the problems other other places have. Right. So what? So what is your total case production? So we're just over five thousand cases now. When we're fully planted, uh, oh, I think shit. we'd be up around nine thousand, maybe pushing on the edge of ten. That's, that's, I'm comfortable with that. Uh, you know, we have a, uh, like our tasting room, we have a tasting room up near Portland too in Carlton because it's so far away. So we have a, a satellite tasting room there and our tasting room sales have been, are, are great. Uh, we have a, a, over a thousand members in the wine club now. So that's, 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 that's good. And we're, we're in distribution. I mean, a small distribution. I'm looking to seek out smaller distributors that are just interested in the kind of things that we're, we're doing and, and you know, they usually specialize in quote unquote natural wine, and biodynamic wine and all that, all those kind of things. Right. But uh, so I, I, I don't like eggs and all my eggs in one basket. You know, I like to kind of be a little bit everywhere. Right. Especially I was, a, I ran a distributorship for 20 years. So I'm, <laughs> I, I like distributors. Yeah. Yeah, is that what you were doing in Napa? You didn't really say exactly what it. No, Napa. I ran corner. I was a general manager at Cornerstone Cellars. Oh, okay. Now, and and if you don't mind, talk a little bit about Cornerstone. I mean, you touched on it, but Cornerstone did very very well a couple of years with some Cabernet, right? Weren't you guys mm -hmm. in the, the top? Yeah, yeah, we did a lot of a lot of uh, got a lot of attention for a while. And and, and that was uh, on purchased um, fruit. All purchased fruit which is a, a very difficult model to sustain in Napa. Um, uh, I, I had started to branch out into uh, Mendocino and El Dorado for trying to go into some Rhone varieties at that point. Uh, just, I, I mean, it was, it's hard to sell nothing but $100 plus wines. It's not even, it's not even fun. 
I have to admit that's this is that that's one of the fun parts of having like the varieties I have now. Like if if I go to Portland uh, and I was selling Pinot Noir, I I would get these cold blank stairs. But if I walk in, I've got Vermentino and Tanat. There's oh, that's interesting. So uh, yeah. I, I think it's not not the worst time to not be selling um, you know Cabernet and Pinot and Chardonnay. And what's the price range on your on your wines? Uh, we start at $20 and go up to about uh, $65 at the top end. $65 is a, a Cuvée Pyrenees. It's a co-ferment of uh, Tanat and Melbeck that we make a small amount of every year. It's the last block we pick. And uh, it's interesting. I like them better together than I do separately. So, hmm. And does it, do you send out the Piquette and the Petnat in the wine club? Uh, no, no, uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, there's not a lot of it available. So like the the, the Petanat, I don't have enough to send out to the wine club. Also, like with the Piquette, I was a little nervous, actually. That's, that's what I was, I was wondering if it, <laughs> if it traveled well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the original idea I had for it was more kind of like the... Uh, the uh, the happening wine bars up in Portland and San Francisco and things like that and uh, of course that didn't work out uh, but you know people surprised me you know I, I really thought because it's a, it's a little funky it's not crazy funky but it's it's funky and uh, um, people love it as a tasting room we're selling it like crazy so go figure you think you know these things but you don't always now people like to try something different and it and it yeah. you're, it does sort of fit into that sort of natural wine category it's it's pink it's easily drinkable it's yeah. and uh bubbles yeah. <laughs> and it's got bubbles yeah what's not to <laughs> yeah. like yeah. yeah yeah so so that, that that's been a pleasant surprise and the other the other thing that surprised me is our we make two uh orange wines uh one uh it's just called amber and it's a uh uh this year it's, it's a combination of uh, uh riesling which I'm not replanting, obviously. I have some Riesling. And um, Viognier and Vermentino. So we fermented it on skins for about three weeks. And it's a more fruit-forward style of orange wine. you know. And then uh, we're doing one with Amphora, too, with Vermentino, where it's that's still from last, but it's just still on the on the skins and stuff. So, uh, but that the, the, the more fruit-forward one has been a tremendous hit. Uh, uh, Again, I guess people surprise you, or they're like you said, they're looking for something different. Yeah. Well, so how did Nate feel about this when? So I have, when, sorry, when I, yeah, go ahead, Sam. I gotta ask, how many SKUs do you have? Because you, too many. I mean, too many. I mean, I have too many. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, we do, we're cutting it back. Uh, uh, it's kind of this transition to more where the blends will take up more of the uh, space. And then, and then we'll just, you know, I can do small lots, you know, I can do 50, 60 cases of something. If I'm right. particularly interested in just sell it out of the tasting room or the club. So, uh, but uh, the, the actual portfolio that we're taking out of the market will be a little more, right. it's transitional. <laughs> I mean, it sounds, you know, it sounds like a fun program to go from Piquette to uh, Malbec to not, blends that you picked at the end. I mean, it seems like a good way to make sure you're busy all the way from late August to early. November. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll always have a lot of different, different wines, but uh, they'll be, we're trying to limit it just a little bit. Right. Sorry. I was, so Nate Wall was the winemaker before you guys switched over, right? No, no, that we had oh, a different winemaker new. at that point. And um, 
uh, I brought Nate here in 2018. He'd oh. been working for uh, Brian Day, and uh, you know had worked, with, you know, done work at Beaufort and a few other wineries up north. And um, you know, went up and met with him. And he really was in alignment with where we wanted to go, and uh, so we brought him in. And then uh, uh, we brought in Sarah the following year, and uh, getting our of course, we lost our interns. We had interns from Austria and, uh, and South Africa this year, and that didn't happen. So we had to run out and get new interns, which we were lucky and got a couple of great interns. So uh, that's our whole harvest. It is a I mean. quick PSA to the world out there. This is a year, if if you were trying to break into the wine industry and you're in the United States, yeah. you're lo- the, because the the international intern sort of pipeline is is shut off right it's a great year to come find a work in a winery uh, right. we got Ryan, lots of applications Ryan, you might be in yeah. I'm, I'm i'm seriously looking well uh, i don't know what my i don't know if you know craig i'm a psalm at the fairmont here in sonoma yeah. mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so i'm i'm going back to work this week but not as a psalm so right. i'm sort of wondering what my future is going to look like as far as fine dining restaurants and so I've I've been looking at you know what what the future holds for me in some other in some other capacities. Well, when we placed our ad for this uh, new set of interns, I would say a majority of the applications we got were uh, from restaurants, right. you know, Psalms, and from all over the country. Just saying, okay, well, that might be good to do for a few months, and then see where things go. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a different world out there. What's it been like for you guys? Um, how how extreme has the lockdown been? Um, well, we went through the same thing you guys did more or less for a while, where everything was shut down. Uh, uh, we could do uh, retail, you know, bottle and sales out the door, and curbside delivery, and the 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 whole you know email offers and for shipping. So we did all that, and we held our own for a while, but. Uh, th- now the tasting rooms are are open. Um, uh, we have fewer restrictions than California does, uh, and they, you know, there's there's a mask requirement now, except for outside. And uh, other than that, and you know, we have to have the, the, the social distancing for the tables. But we have a large area, outdoor area, uh, for seating, so that's been it's been relatively easy for us because everybody wants to sit outside anyway. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we've been almost, I'd say we're almost back to normal traffic at this point. It's just a lot harder for the staff. It's a lot more work for the staff and they have, you know, they have to cover cause we don't have bar service anymore. You know, they can't work from the bar. It's all coming out to the tables and then you have to disinfect the tables and disinfect the bathrooms and right. ongoings. And of course they have to wear a mask all day, which is, uh, not, not the most fun. Yeah, and are they actually doing one-on-one, sitting down with the with the guests and talking about the wines, or are they just sort of providing literature? They're actually they can actually talk about the wines. Uh, you know, we restricted. You know, people you can't have groups of more than ten, and they have to come together. Otherwise, but if people come together, we can do flights for them at the table. We just can't do it uh, at a bar like we used to. Right. So I mean, it's 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 less restrictive here, and uh, fortunately for us, it, you know, there there have been very few cases in the area. Um, 
but uh, like everywhere else, it's going back up. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Right. So Sam, what have you, can you talk about what you've been drinking there while we've been doing the, yeah. the show? Well, I, um, I'm, we brought in a bunch of stuff. I, I finally got all my 2019 white and rosé labels made. Um, so I brought a bunch of stuff in so we could throw some labels on. And so we started off with the the 19 Roussan uh, from the Rossi Ranch, which, you know, we have dueling Roussans, Brian. Uh, yours <laughs> is still in a barrel, so I, mine is, has a lead in that department anyway. Um, and and that was the, you know, if you remember, Brian, when we went through the Roussan block, we left sort of the lower section closer to the road uh, and came back to it almost two weeks later. So it's, it's way riper, um, but it's, it's really interesting. It's got great texture, um, could be a, a Chardonnay replacement to a lot of people, I think. Um, and, and then the second thing I'm trying now is, um, it's a 100% Isabel Gassier. Um, this is the 16600 Rosé. Um, it's mostly, um, we, we did like a green drop pass through steel plow. So it's mostly Grenache from steel plow, although it has a little bit of Rossi and a little bit of another new block of, of um, Grenache that we planted in the rocks of the, the sort of uh, like Solano Avenue Grove Street area right near my house. Um, so it's, it's a Sonoma Valley Grenache Rosé. Uh, kind of a companion to the Sonoma Valley Zinfandel that we started selling to customers this year. Something that's in that $20, $25 price range. Um, you know, I think a, a place where the market of the rest of 2021 and probably 2020, of 20 and 2020 and 2021 and probably 2022 is going to be really good to have some, you know, some things in that price range that are a little more accessible, a little yeah. more everyday drinkable. Um for for you know going forward for a little while here well did i see you guys doing trials on the autotet reds did yes. i see that so somewhere AutoTet reds yeah yeah we did a we did a uh it was my it was my first transcontinental zoom tasting with uh with philippe combi it was you know five o'clock in the afternoon in Chateauneuf and eight o'clock in the morning on the back porch of sixteen six hundred, um, which is a hell of a time to jump into some some big bold Napa Valley garage. <laughs> right. um, you know, and Philippe on top of it was like you know it was five o'clock in the afternoon. He'd been waiting all day for this. He was he was he was into it. He was you know early to the Zoom call, and you know I'm still like drinking my coffee. Um, <laughs> so it was it was an interesting. Uh, but the, the wines are great. Um, you know, these are basically, you know, Isabel's first solo ventures in making red wine. Um, and we, so we have the 2018 Rossi uh, Adutet and 2018 Oakville Ranch Adutet. Um, and those will be put in bottle next week. Uh, and maybe on the market in November, although... Um, one of them, and I can't remember which one at the moment, it's in my notes, is really like probably needs a year in bottle, but um, we'll sell it anyway because you know, people need to buy wine. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> people need to move. Um, so, and it's, and you know, we, and the the label teaser, which Combi threw out there, which I wasn't like, that's I wasn't what ready, it was that I saw. I wasn't yeah. ready for this. Um, 
you know, my, my poor label designer, it's a Stanley, it's a new Stanley mouse piece. Um, and for the two wines, it's, it's like a mirror imaging, um, sort of diptych painting. It'll actually be on the wall behind me over there in this corner. Um, in, in that other room. Um, but I, we had just gotten like rough draft from the designer and I sent them along. So we had some like good news to talk about along with the wine tasting great. Um, and you know, it's always good to keep Combi and, and Phil Kateri happy and especially when they're in the same meeting. And, um, and then of course Combi, like as we're doing the tasting is putting it on, on his prodigious Instagram account. And, and I'm like, Oh, poor team Gato. Um, so yeah, the, the label is, uh, not a finished product yet, but, um, we have a really cool Autotet label project going on right now too. So um, yeah, you know, that's the thing about the wine business and, and Craig, I know that it's the same thing with you guys is it doesn't matter whether there's a thousand customers a day in the tasting room or you're on complete and utter lockdown. You have to keep making it and you have to keep growing it. You right. can't stop. Um, you know, the, you can't just be like, Oh, well the, states on lockdown we're gonna leave the cellar and come back in three months it doesn't really work like that so um, we've been as busy as ever especially with as big as the 2018 vintage was there was a lot there's across the board i just talked to a buddy in winery he's got a 10-day run of bottling coming up next you know next month uh and there's nothing you can do to stop it you can't right. slow it down you know there's nothing we're, we're, fun about 10 days of bottling no, there's nothing fun about 10 days no. of bottling in normal times, right? And then you add, you add like, you know, everybody's wearing PPE and, and you know, it's an impossibly, it's an impossible place to do social distancing. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's going to be a wild ride. Yeah, we just bottled earlier in the week and, we, you know, the, the truck had, you know, they have all these uh, plastic dividers now up between the stations right. and everybody wearing masks just to make it even more fun than it usually is, you know, so. Yeah. Could yeah. you imagine? I, I look, we, we, our bottling truck didn't have that going this week, but I saw one down the street that did have like these, those plastic sheets hanging between every station, like the being the filling bottles with head, you know, head plugs in and earplugs in and, and, on that truck in the first place is a rough place. And now it put right. it into like a little greenhouse. Um, it's like a <laughs> not fun. Brutal. Yeah. Sam, Sam asked me to work lat. Was it on Monday? He was like, yeah, you yeah. want to come do some bottling? And, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I would have loved it because um, I'd never done it before. So I was kind of looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> um, but then, but then as I thought about it more and more, I was like, you know what? That's probably fun for like an hour. That's and optimistic. Then, <laughs> I'll say it again. The best thing about bottling is being done with bottling. <laughs> is the beer you're drinking. <laughs> well, you guys want to talk about what's going on out in the vineyards right now? I mean, where are we at? Where are we at as of beginning I'm of getting, June? I'm getting or, it. I think Sam, take it. Man, I can't hear you, Sam. There you go. Oh, I was gonna. So what I wanted to talk about is, can we make a little bit of fun about um, this um, this sale, new sale to Constellation of? Uh, oh my God. What, oh shoot! What was that? Empathy. Name? Empathy. You know, I think empathy was started. I know, Sam. I know. Empathy was started as like a, a way to help the growers. You know, some of the large growers sell some wine and. Now they've ended up selling it to 
that big company that seems to always destroy wine brands. And I just wonder what those grape growers, because a lot of those grape growers probably had to sell grapes to that company in the pre previously. And then they thought they were getting away from it by selling it to this new brand that was going to be direct to consumer. And now they're right back with it and their contracts will probably all get dropped. <laughs> right. Know. It's uh, just the way the business goes, I guess. And I this guess. hour is sponsored by Constellation and the Washington <laughs> Redskins. <laughs> I just shake my head. Just shake my head. Yeah. yeah. So he probably yeah. designed that whole concept to sell. So, Right. Right. But do the, you know, the growers, you know, I, I don't know. It seems like the growers might have gotten sold a bill of goods. I don't know. <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just caught me off guard today. Some things never change. No. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sam, talk about the vineyard since you've been at it more than we have, or at least here. So, Sam, you're, we can't oh, hear you, Sam. Am I back on, am I still on go. mute or am I back off mute now? There you go, there you go. I can never it. remember the, the, the mute button on this new microphone I have is either flashing red or solid red, and I never remember which one is mute and which one isn't mute. <laughs> Am I going to just be on or off? Um, I'm writing, I'm going to write a letter. Or probably not. Um, so, you know, the, the vineyard situation right now is it's definitely a, a drought year. You see that in sort of some uneven growth patterns. Um, you know, we're into to fruit set. Um, you know, Grenache looks pretty good. I was walking through Muchas Piedras the other day, which had almost no fruit in, in 2019. We got... Um, you know, I think we're going to make a barrel or two of, of Muchas Piedras 2019. Um, and this year it's, it's, there's some unevenness, which is the vineyard, but there's, you know, the set is really good. It's like the perfect amount of Grenache shatter that you want to, you know, kind of allow it to fill out and become itself. Um, in general, you know, I think, uh, in, you know, across the Cabernet and things like that, probably a little bit down from the last couple of years, which is fine. We're all kind of in that place where, coming in a little bit lighter and harvest in, in 2020 um, based on, you know, the economic realities of the world. Plus, you know, sort of back to back, huge vintages. Um, we're all pretty happy about that. Um, I was you know, talking to some other people and you're like, yeah, you know, if we, if we come in 10 or 15% off of what we did last year, um, that's probably a good thing. So um, that's, you know, kind of where it's at. And, you know, we're, we're into the heart of, sort of fighting mildew season, you know, spraying sulfur and, and um, you know, doing leaping and, and shoot positioning and kind of setting up the vines to grow into the ripening curve, which is just around the corner. You know, people are, this is recording on what's July 2nd right now, you know, there'll be people picking grapes, uh, um, you know, by the end of the month. Um so it's 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 happening. What I think Morgan posted a picture of some grapes turning purple. I think probably out in Contra Costa or Lodi. So it's it's you know it's happening. Um, we're it, mm. like it just keeps moving along. Um, so but down down a little bit from the last couple of years. Yeah, in, in the big varieties that that needed a little shortening, and but Grenache, good year for Grenache. And Craig, you guys are a little bit behind us. Is that right? Yeah, probably not. I mean, Western Sonoma is probably kind of similar to us. I mean, we're getting, uh, you know, we see bud break early, you know, first week or so, April, and then uh, 
going to bloom mid-June this year. So that's pretty typical for us. So we're, you know, we're just a few weeks past, past bloom. So we're still early in the process, but you know, we're, we're starting to spray now and everything. So. So Do you end up then picking a couple of weeks later, you think on average than you would a a, Sonoma Valley? uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's been warmer. No, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the, 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 you know, one of the big problems we always faced was spring frost and that hasn't been a really a problem now for, for several years. So I think we're, you know, we're, it's been, we're seeing, seeing warmer seasons, a slightly earlier bud break. And, uh, and so that's probably going to pull harvest back a little bit, but we're still, I mean, last week of September for the first whites and rosé, things like that. And then depending on how October goes, it can go almost, you know, we can get close to November sometimes by the time we're into the tonight, really, you know, stuff that ripens last. But it's the advantage of growing all these different varieties is they don't all ripen at once. So, so it makes it a lot easier in the cellar, you know? Yeah. Spread it out. Yeah. And while I'm at Valley, you know, when I was up there, the Pinot was like, okay, it's all ripe. Here we go. You know, pick it all. Two weeks. Yeah. So, and, and now we go, so we go, it's a six week almost cycle for us. Yeah. It just feels weird not being, you know, yeah, I'm about a week behind. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Sam. I was gonna say you're you're actually out there. I I feel weird because I'm I'm not driving by the vineyards every day like I was five six days a week. Um, so this will be the this will be the first time this week that I'll actually be heading over to Sonoma. Um, but with the drought, I mean, I I was hiking at Anadel State Park a couple of weeks ago up to El Sanjo Dam, and there was no water in that thing. I mean, it was dry, dry as hell. Yeah, you know, Lake Sonoma is quite dry this year already. I mean, at the beginning of the season, it was pretty dry. And just in the past few weeks, it's dropped pretty significant. It's going to be low by the end of the summer. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Very, very, uh, you know, they they put the fire restrictions on a full month early this year. So, yeah, good. Get rid of the fireworks now. Yeah. Yeah, stop, stop lighting up fireworks, seriously. Well, you guys are in Sonoma. Have you gone downtown to the plaza? Um, I've been down a few times, yes. I mean, the plaza seems still very busy. You know, last Saturday there was a birthday party going on. There was like 30 people out at the end, the whole kind of corner of the plaza um, kind of taken over, and there were people all over. You know, a lot of people, most people wearing masks and and whatnot and and stuff. Um, uh, Definitely a lot of people walking around, you know. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Sam. It's 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 busy, but it's not it's not a packed. You know, there's there's people out there. You know, it, it looks like um, a sunny spring day. You know, as far as the traffic in the plaza, it's not it's not summertime highs as far as as you know congestion. You can still find a parking place a little bit. Every, you know, on a you know, it's not we're not. We're certainly not, you know, at full capacity, um, and and I think that what I've heard from hotel folks and and Brian, you're among them, that that's you know kind of sounds what it's like at the hotels also. So you know, it's um, and I think for the most part, it's people from the Bay Area. I think it's it's day trip and and you know short overnights and things like that. Um, 
Yeah, that's what that's what I would have thought. And you know, we're, we're we're capping the occupancy this weekend at forty percent, and we we could actually do a lot more. Um, but because it's going to be the first weekend that we're open, the the GM wanted to just keep it somewhat manageable. Um, but I know MacArthur Place is going to be a hundred percent occupancy this weekend. Wow. Yeah, they're just going. They're just going to rip it up, rip off the bandaid, and and go for it. So. I think you might see the plaza getting a little bit crazy. The thing is, with a lot of people coming to town, I don't know that they realize that a lot of the restaurants are running at decreased capacity. So getting a reservation for some place, you know, you're going to have to do that way ahead of time for Fourth of July weekend. So I'm anticipating this weekend, a lot of people coming to the hotel thinking they're going to go wine tasting and then go out to dinner, but probably end up eating dinner in the hotel because there's there's nowhere to go. So, and you said it's it's takeout service from Sante. Is that what the? Yeah, Sante's or... not open. So, so, and I I don't know that it will this year. So, people are going to go to Thirty Eight North, the the bar. They will walk up to the bar, order food, then they will go sit down, and then I will bring the food out to them, put it down on the on the table, um, and then during the day they can do the same thing out at the pool. So at the pool they'll walk up to the bar with their masks on, order the food. And then someone will run the food out to their cabana or their lawn chair or whatever. So it's oh. there's there's going to be no fine dining at the Fairmont for for a while. So I mean, are they also using this then? And maybe you're talking out of school, and I shouldn't ask this question. But is this sort of the opportunity to do the redesign and and rebranding of the restaurant that they've been talking about, or is this just? Sam, I don't think so. I was wondering if that was going on, and because I haven't been there in three and a half months, I'm. But from what I'm hearing, no, that the investors um, are just bleeding. And so it's kind of a tough time to tell them, okay, I know we're not making any money, but this is this would be a good time um, to, in money in <laughs> to, to, to come in and do the entire restaurant. So, you know, it might be, let's, let's just hunker down and make it through this year and, and you know, hopefully break even and, and then um, maybe look at it for next year. So again, that's why I'm saying, I don't know what the future looks like for fine dining in general. I mean, at least yeah. for this year, it's it's just kind of a weird thing, thinking about wearing your mask and gloves and and chatting at tables. So, have you, have you seen these um, like viral videos coming out of uh, like fine dining restaurants in New York, where some guy comes out with like a silver little silver tray and gloves and a mask, and it's a it's a bottle of hand sanitizer that they bring to the table for you. <laughs> You're like, all right, if that's like where we're at, I doesn't I'm not I'm I, you know. I, and and now you'll have your caviar eggs, sir. It's like I don't know, man. That doesn't quite feel right to me. Yeah, yeah, it's looking weird. I, Craig, I think you're fine in your rural area. I don't think you're missing any any um, social uh, right. stuff that's right. going on in the city right now because it's just it's a, it's it's a really unique. Up. It's kind of a switch of a situation, but <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I would love to be in in Southern Oregon right now. How far, how far are you guys? The only place that I've been is Portland and then I've been to Lincoln city. Um, so it's a long haul from here. Yeah. A long, so and, that's, and with lots of mountains in the way. So, okay. I was wondering if, yeah, you're 60 miles from the coast. If you just head directly to the coast, you would be way far South of that still. Right. Right. Okay. We're, we're about two hours South of Eugene. A lot of people don't know where Eugene is. So I think the, Sam does. the town most people know around here is Ashland. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys, if anyone wants to order wines from Troon, yeah, I, I figured. 
<laughs> uh, Craig, if people want to order wine, can they can just do do so on the uh, website and get it sent out uh, to their house? Absolutely. So you know, trunevineyard.com, and uh, we ship almost everywhere, which is crazy, but we do it. So <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, T R O O N, Trune Vineyard, uh, and follow them on Instagram as well. Um, what is it? So what have you guys? What do you have available right now? Because you're, you're sort of still in the process of you know, it sounds like you're doing some replanting and, and some planting of new varieties. So what have you got available and what, what do you have to look forward to? Well, you know, the, 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 right now the, you know, the whites are of course ahead. So we're in 2019 whites. So there's, you know, Vermentino, you know, the, we have a, the Kubli blend, which is a Marsan Roussan Vignet, uh, a Rosé, uh, which will eventually all be Rhone varieties, but during this transition right now, it's uh, Tinta Roriz and uh, Primitivo. So if you're talking about having too many items, we had too many varieties. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, But actually, they made a really lovely Rosé. And then for red, we have a Carbonic Maceration Grenache, and then oh, a cool. Syrah Grenache blend, and then, and then our, our new sparklers, the Paquette and the Petanat. And why do you guys call it Vermentino and not Roll? If you're uh, well, I, we have two Vermentinos, uh, the the estate Vermentino, which I, you know just Vermentino, and then we have a Cube Roll, which is okay. the one that's uh, a it's aged for about eighteen months in neutral oak, and uh, wow. so we have the two different styles. So the the Cube Roll is a more a little Landoc style, you know, just more in that in that richer vein. Okay. And they're, they're, they're farmed slightly differently too. We let the other one get riper and get more sun exposure. And then, and we make a, a Vermentino orange wine too. So. Interesting. Yeah. That was the only way I could get Vermentino into the girl in the fig was if I told Sandra, no, no, it's roll. roll, they're, just, roll. they're just calling it something else. <laughs> <laughs> Explain to her there's more roll and there's more Vermentino in France than there is in Italy. Uh, Corsica adds a big chunk, but Lineduck right. too. Right. Well, we got to get one of your wines into the girl in the fig. Seems like you got a, a cool Rhone thing going on. We'll have to we'll have to hit up Sandra. And do you have any representation in Northern California? Yeah, that's a pretty typical story. It was all set to to launch distribution. You know, I wanted to wait until we had these new generation wines out. Got all set up with a distributor, and then all this happened immediately as we were getting ready to launch. So that got put on hold, and then during this period, they got absorbed by another company. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Back to square one, I guess. <laughs> see. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Sam and Bart, you guys got any shout outs you want to hit up any people? Uh, you know, I want to give a shout out to um, Jess Wade. Uh, Jess has got a pretty cool um, partnership that he's doing with a chef um, uh, coming up in a couple weeks. And so you can go to his website at uh, topophiliawines.com. Um, uh, pretty cool. The chef was an ex, um, uh, French laundry chef that's moved on. He works for another winery. I don't recall what it is now, but he's worked out a recipe and they've paired with a quail company. And so they're, they're sending out the recipes, all the instructions, the quail and the wine together. So, um, another way it's, to it's a virtual wine dinner right? in, in these days, um, you know, so I, I give him credit wow. for, for, for giving it a try. Yeah, thinking outside the box, right? Sending out a yeah. quail. Yeah. Okay. And Sam, you want to? No, I don't. I I didn't prepare any shout-outs ahead of time, Brian. Okay. Um, no, I was wondering if uh, at least out for, on the fly. 
At least for uh, maybe for Garrett for knocking some tables together for you and, and setting oh man, up your, our tables. Your cool little VW set up in the back there. I will say we got club members and, and we have uh, podcast listeners who are clearly um, listening because they're emailing, calling, making tasting reservations. Um, they keep buying wine online. Yep. Um, you know, another one last night. It's it's uh, it's cool to see. We appreciate it. So, shout out to to all the the listeners, and of course to Garrett. We have these cool new tables out back from, um, you know, fire damaged Douglas fir harvested from the Moon Mountain District into picnic tables on the back porch. So everything we we, we got to be on brand. Uh, we got new masks and new tie dye T shirts. Um, masks by my brother in law down in Southern California, White Bark Workwear. So it's all organic hemp uh, uh embroidered with the 16600 logo and new tie-dye by uh ben jammin by the jammin on tie-dye crew uh you know that were uh hungered down in their compound in in las vegas they said they had enough supplies we sent them a couple of cases of wine anyway um <laughs> and and i'm sure that their supplies were more fun than most people's <laughs> most people's quarantine <laughs> supplies uh and they made this awesome batch of uh, t-shirts including little kid shirts. So, um, those will oh, all be cool. coming either on a, in an email or on a website near you one of these days when I get around to it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, a, a shout out to all a, a same thing, Sam, listeners who are coming out to visit and making plans still to come out. Um, also Noel from out wines is going to be doing, oh, yeah. uh, driving through. So she's coming through and was going to look both of us up. Um, and then, you know, to Glenn Larkin for, um, and Kevin Matthew Burns for their recent purchases. They've been, it's funny, they've been drinking a lot of wine in their quarantine. It's really interesting. Uh, who hasn't, Bart? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> My God, I'm going to have to go through some sort of detox before I head to work on Friday. <laughs> oh, that's tomorrow. <laughs> Shit. Tomorrow. All right. All right. Well, I want to get a shout out to, um, um, Sondra Bernstein at The Bike Goes On. If you guys are interested in listening to a podcast about food, it's one that I do with her. And she just texted me and said that she got Chris Costantino to come on the show. So oh, I'm excited cool. about that because I've always wanted to meet him. Wow. Yeah. Talk about cured meats yeah. <laughs> and using every little part of the pig. Yeah. I, I got a shout out. I got a shout out. There we go. Go ahead, Sam. I, I got a shout out. Uh, so I was in Ovello the other day ordering we're doing a little Ovello boxes as an option with the tastings right now and Todd Jolly walks in with a bottle of uh Barolo from you know Chef Andrea's family I guess our hometown in in northern Italy and you know I guess they've been doing a lot of business back and forth so shout out to uh to you know to Ovello and to Todd who's back open there at Sonoma's Best um, expanded outdoor space, um, got great great lineup of wines, a bunch of cool new Italian wine. So hopefully he's putting together a six pack for me. I asked him to do that. Six nice. pack of some some uh, good, cool, well priced uh, Italian wines. Well, Sam, I had an idea the other day. I was thinking uh, number. Well, here's a couple things. Number one uh, is my is my what is my cork puller back from France yet? No. So they've reached out. There's like that shit's all it's all that's all like screwy still because of all this. So they were all locked down. So I think they just are working on our cork pullers. We, okay, for for context, Craig, we had a bunch of Lagiol uh corkscrews that yeah. and, and a bunch of them broke. So we sent them all back to France. Oh, wow. <laughs> um and um 
hopefully we're getting them back. Well, so that got me thinking, <laughs> Sam. I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about other ways to make money here going forward. I'm thinking, can we not come up with an American version of Lagul that we make in Sonoma, American-made, high-quality cork pullers that we can sell not only to the, you know, our friends that work at the local restaurants, but also um, sell to the tourists and, and, um, and can someone like Garrett do that? I've been looking at, you know, different companies that do them. They're, they're, they're in China. Everyone's making them in China. Yeah. I mean, you know, they probably have to be priced like a uh, 200 you know, bucks, 250 cap, bucks. A ton of uh, Napa Valley Cabernet is, is yeah, the problem. I, say, I don't think, uh, I don't think you're going to get one made here in Sonoma for, 200 bucks <laughs> um and Not and i'm like thinking that. let's let's get some old screaming eagle barrels and we'll make we'll <laughs> we'll use the staves and we'll kind of make those the handles it'll be the first five thousand dollar wooden corkscrew right, <laughs> right. <laughs> exclusive to french laundry <laughs> all right guys well, uh, if you want to check out some of our past episodes, you can uh, go to radiomisfits.com. Shout out to Ed, the Podfather. I hope he's doing well. Also, uh, he went on a bike ride today. He pulled out his bike, so we'll see how that went. Hopefully, yeah, if, just, he, if he falls, he the, posts the picture. <laughs> and then, you know, John Myers, who hasn't been with us in a while, but he's doing well. He's just, um, you know, self-quarantining and trying to take care of himself. So hopefully we'll um, I was thinking he might jump on today, but um, maybe we can get him on in the next uh, week or two. So, Craig, it was a pleasure to meet you. I really dig what you guys are doing up there, and I, I thank you. I, you know, as as a human being on this planet, I appreciate what you guys are doing up there. I think it's a really cool thing. Thanks, Craig. Well, thank thanks for having us on, and it was a lot of fun. And I can't wait to get back to Sonoma. <laughs> well, and thanks for. Uh, the always entertaining Twitter feed that you have, Craig. It's a, a great uh, at Craig Camp is a is a great Twitter follow. Uh, for Thanks your, for your Twitterizers out there, and also shout out to Dane of Dane Sellers yeah. for capturing that amazing picture of Bart falling off the, the paddleboard when they were up at their Donner on their uh, their Donner Lake. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Oh yeah, yeah. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. This has been the winemakers. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you, everybody.